Uh, so today is the day of Pentecost. Yep, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit turned up in a powerful way to the disciples and many others in that in that region in uh, Jerusalem that day. Um, I'm not sure if it was actually on a, this day, but we celebrate that in the church worldwide today, that the Holy Spirit got a hold of people. And um, I remember as an Anglican little fella, little whippersnapper growing up, there wasn't much talk about him. There wasn't much talk about what he can do in someone's life. You know, there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the Bible and truth and scripture and stories out of the Bible. Being a little fella, you know, you hear stories about Samson and what an idiot he was and David and how tough he was when he was so young and Goliath and, you know, all these other people in the Bible, Moses, Gideon. Oh, my goodness, we can all learn from Gideon. But uh, not much was taught for, for me about the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, well, when I, when I became a believer, I thought I'll find out myself more about who he is, this, uh, this, this person of the Godhead. So still, still, still figuring him out as we speak today. <laughs> but one thing I've found is that the Bible tells us a lot about him and, and how he works. And, uh, and it's interesting because the Bible tells us that, uh, that he um, is in the believer, that, that God is in the believer. The Holy Spirit is in you. You know, when, when we failed as people, when we failed to reach God, God reached us, became one of us, so that we, so, like, so that we could be closer to him, like him. He became like us so that we could be like him. And he stayed inside until I die. And one day I'll see him face to face. Well, if he's got a face. But, but I remember um, when we were early Christians, well, I was an early Christian, but we had two kids at this stage, and um, I went to this uh, seminar. I was invited to go to a seminar. It was a couple of prophets coming to share at a seminar. Now, that's not very Wesleyan, because you don't hear many Wesleyan Methodist conferences where you invite a prophet to come and share about what prophecy is and all this sort of stuff. So I went along, and, um, and, and I was a little bit disappointed because all I heard was, it's positive talk, positive talk, positive talk. And I thought to myself afterwards, I thought, Lord, what do you have to say about the future? You know, like lots of people have got their opinions. And is it really the Holy Spirit speaking through that person? Or is it just their idea, you know, that they got enculturated into? I don't know. You know, I was like, Lord, I just want to listen to you. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus just turned up and just gave some prophecies to us? You know, like, you know, I remember even as I remember even as a young fellow going to other churches. Uh, this is before I started, um, before the Lord called us to the Wesleyan Methodist Church. Um, you know, I'd just sit in the back seat of some churches and you just wait for the person at the end of the message to say, oh, I've got a message for so-and-so. I don't know who you are, but you, you're going through this. And they give you a certain detail about your life. And then they'll say, the Lord said, and there's a promise. You ever been to those sort of services before? Is it just me or... Am I the only one that would ever go to those sorts of things and think, oh, can you just give me something, please, from somebody? Because I want to hear it, you know? And you hear a message, you think, well, that could relate to me. Hmm, I can make that fit. Um, and sometimes sometimes you just walk away disappointed or, or um, phased. 
But wouldn't it be great if Jesus just turned up and said, you know, this is what's true about your future? And I love it because that's what exactly what Jesus does here for the disciples. They've just left the temple. Remember last week, they've just witnessed what it means to sacrificially give, to be a generous person. They saw the old lady put the money in that all she had. And then Jesus walks out of there. And this is the last time that he's in the temple that we can tell. And um, he's leaving the temple and there's buildings, right? Stone buildings, beautiful, beautiful thing. I think someone said to me recently that it had a gold roof on it, like, and it would shimmer in the sun because it had gold sort of in the roof tiles or something. I don't know, but don't quote me on that. But it was an amazing structure and it stood out, right? Amazing. And so the disciples come out with Jesus and, um, and they're like, Jesus, check out this building. This is an amazing establishment. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could plant a church in here? You know, that sort of thought. And, and what does Jesus say? Hey, do you notice these? These great buildings? They'll be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Jesus prophesies. He begins to prophesy from here on. And we're going to look for the next three weeks, the prophecies of Jesus. I thought, well, you know, what an awesome person to listen to prophecies about. You know, what's the future going to hold? Everyone's got their opinions. I mean, Wesleyans, we, we're, we're pan-millennialists, aren't we? Yeah. It's going to pan out. It's just going to pan out. It's just panning out. We, you know, no one's putting any dates on nothing, you know, but it's just going to, you know, he's the Lord. He's going to make it work his way. We're just going to follow him, trust him, share the gospel with people, be our best person in, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit, and he can sort out how it finishes. Pan-millennialists. Anyway, Jesus comes out with some, some future prophecies. And the first one is this, okay, it's a, there's a shaking. There's a shaking of the old way. He says to them, look at these great buildings. Yes, they're amazing, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another, verses 1 and 2. Not one stone will be left completely demolished. The whole structure of the religious way of the Old Testament will be completely demolished, all right? Now, it's really cool because in the Bible, it says that the Old Testament is a shadow. The things that are written in the past were a shadow of things to come, the things to come, the reality to come, shadow of things to come. Does anyone know where that scripture is? A shadow of things to come. Yeah. These things were written in the past for us to learn from, but they were a shadow of things to come. You can search it yourself, all right? But what I want us to focus on is the shadow. What's a shadow? Is it the thing? Is it the thing? Or is it just a reflection of the thing? So your shadow, is it an actual thing? No. What is the thing? You. Your body is the thing. And your body casts the shadow. Where can I go to make a shadow? I can't because there's too many lights. Is there? There's one. It's a shadow, right? It's not me. But it's a shape of the thing, whatever the thing is. There's a reality. There's a real thing coming. The Old Testament and the old things written and the old way of worship and the temple, they were just a shadow, like the the laver and the the altar 
and the, the, the tithing and everything in the old system is just a shadow of what's real, what's to come, what's to come, the real thing, a shadow of what's to come. And the temple, the temple, you know what, we don't meet in a temple. In fact, Stephen, the, the first martyr of the Christian faith, he died and in his message before he died, please don't kill me after this one, but he said that God doesn't need to live in a building. He can't. It, why should he live in a building made by people's hands? You know, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. Who can make him a building, you know? And we think that the, the, the temple was where God lived. You know, Solomon, David was the one who was promised to, to build the temple, but it ended up being Solomon. And, uh, you know, as if like God lived in that temple and that's where God lived, you know. And um, that's where worship happened and that's where... That's where the religious system happened, and that's where all the structure of the Old Testament was centered on the temple. And Jesus says, you know what? All that's just going to fall apart. That's just going to fall apart. The religious system is going to be shaken down. No, nothing's going to be standing. No stone will be left on top of another. The religious structure will not stand. Hebrews 10, 19-20 talks about your religion and my religion as a new and living way, a new and living way. And it's beautiful because we don't have temples anymore. We don't have priests anymore. Well, actually we do. We're all priests. We're all priests. And we actually do have temples. We've got lots of them. There's lots of temples. There's a few in this room. In fact, you probably guess that we're all temples right here, right now. You know, we're the temp you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or 1 Corinthians 3, 14, somewhere there in on mass. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says to these disciples, the old way is going to be shaken down. There's, it's going to be destroyed. There's going to be destruction, right? The old things are going to be destroyed. And isn't it beautiful? Last year, you know, we went through this trial called COVID and we, we were all forced to do everything differently. We were forced to do life differently, birthdays differently, worship differently, work differently. We were forced to do everything differently. It was just, there was a shaking down. And in fact, I think church differently. You know, we, we were forced into a place where we're like, what's really important? What is church? And a lot of churches, us included, we're forced to think, okay, do we need to change what we're doing? Have we lost focus of what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? You know, the, Jesus prophesies here that, that the old system will be demolished. But often throughout the years, throughout the ages, you see the church trying to resurrect the old system in little places and it never works, never works. It's a new and living way. You are the temple. You're the new temple of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. That's what I see anyway. And then Jesus continues to prophesy. He's like, I prophesy positive things, you know, over your life right now. <laughs> Here they are. Attack. Attack is coming your way. Praise the Lord. You're gonna, there's going to be wars. This is going to be awesome. You know, there's going to be famines and earthquakes. I believe and declare in my name. I declare there's going to be earthquakes and 
Rumors of wars and wars. Oh my goodness me. There's going to be attacks. Have a look at verses 3 to 4. The disciples come up to Jesus and they say, uh, they're sitting on the mountain of olives across from the temple and they're looking at the majestic temple across the valley Kidron. And they, and they, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew come up to Jesus privately and ask him, tell us, when will all this happen? When will the shaking down of the old system happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? And Jesus says this, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah or I am he. Let's not read past that. It says, many will come in my name. Many will come in my name. Many people will come in my name. It's not like they're overtly against Christ. They're actually coming in the name of Christ to deceive. Jesus' first point, I guess, of prophecy is that there's going to be deception. There's going to be an attack of deception upon his people. Deception. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. How many will come in his name? One? Many. 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 How do you know? How do you know if I'm one of them or not? How do you know if you're being deceived by someone coming in his name or not? Jesus promised to make you a temple. He first of all promised to, to, to disregard, to get rid of, the old, abolish the old way of doing things. And instead, he put his Holy Spirit in you and me. So that we would have the Spirit, Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth, that will guide us into all truth. He'll not speak on his own, he'll speak what he hears from Jesus and pass it on to the rest of us. So you'll find yourself in a situation where you go, I don't know if what Pastor Ian just said then was actually right. That might be the Holy Spirit. And if it is, please come to me after the service and say, look, Ian, when you said this, this, and this, I'm not sure if that was actually right. And I'll be able to go, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You know what? And we can talk about it and we can open up his word because the Bible is inspired and written by the Holy Spirit through different authors, right? His word is, is like a, his word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And his word is, is supposed to be used to uh, encourage and uh, correct and train us for righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is one way you can find out if someone is being deceptive, trying to deceive you. Another, word, another way is through the word of God. Try and get a hold of the word of God yourself. You know, that's where the Reformation came from. With Luther, thank you, the Lutherans. This is, the, this is where they meet too. Uh, but, you know, they weren't just going to take the priest's word for it. You know, the, the Bible should be for everyone to read, you know. And the Holy Spirit, the Lord speaks to me through his word more than he does through any other way. I don't know about you, but you just sometimes you're just reading the word. You're reading the, and there's a story there, but then there's something else happening at the same time. It's a synchronized thing. You're reading a story, and then in the middle of that story, God says something to you in that story. It's like when Jesus spoke in parables. He would speak 
a story that just made sense to every Joe blog in the whole neighborhood. But then on another level, if you were really listening and really hungry, then you'll get the deeper meaning. You know, that's what, that's what he would do. But he would hide the truth. He would hide the truth in something normal. So, yeah, Jesus prophesies. So he prophesies attacking. Can I just rhyme it? He, he prophesies attacking, cracking, and lacking. Attacking. So wars, rumors of wars. This isn't sounding positive, Jesus. This is not, this is not good for my life. It's, I don't get the positive vibes here. This is, this is all out war. I thought, I thought we could make this world a better place. But apparently, Jesus is saying it's going to get pretty bad. And attacking. There's going to be attacking on the church, right? In deception. All right? And you will hear about wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I, th- I take that as a, there's going to be nation against nation. What's the difference between nation and kingdom? It's like a na- it's like a, this civic civic battle between nations, but also kingdom against kingdom. It's almost like a spiritual battle or a, or a group battle. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be unrest and violence and fighting and war, tit for tat, revenge, unforgiveness. Let's just open up the news and watch what's happening. That's what's happening, right? It's been happening for a long time, and Jesus says this isn't the end. It's these are just these just must take place. He says there's going to be earthquakes. That's the cracking. <laughs> the cracking of the of the plates, right? Cracking of the of the earth. It's going to crack up, right? It's going to be earthquakes, cracking, and lacking is famine, famine. You know, right now people are dying. Right now people are dying around the world because they can't eat food. They're dying. I was reading Samaritan's Purse. I was reading some sort of statistic. I might get it wrong, but ninety percent of all deaths in Cambodia is uh, are people under the age of five. Like under the age of five, 90% of all deaths. Like what's going on? Why is there famine? You know, and you can throw your hands up and say, God, what are you doing? It's not fair. People are dying in wars. It's unjust. There's earthquakes all happening. People are dying. Innocent people are victims. And there's, there's children dying from famine. What's going on, God? Don't you care? And he says, yes, I do care. That's why I put my Holy Spirit in you. Show them that I care. In, on the 13th of June, we're going to have um, Ruth Thomas coming to share a little bit about what World Hope International are doing. So that's going to be exciting. But, you know, there's, there's other ways we can serve and pray for um, international groups. Um, World Vision, they're doing their best to, to look after People that are dying of hunger or going through natural disasters. Empart is another missions organization in India that are doing a fantastic job with, uh, with people that are suffering uh, in India. And Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be attacking, cracking, and lacking. Can I just take that person? Can we just bring that home? For, for me as a believer, as soon as I put my hand up to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, what came first? Attacking. You know, there's an attack. There's a spiritual attack going on. 
You know, it's not just it's not just your friends and neighbors that go, oh, he's weird now. There's a spiritual thing going on we can't see. And they don't like the fact that darkness is getting overcome by light because people are coming to know Jesus. There's attack going on. There's cracking going on too. There's shifting of the earth in an earthquake, but a shifting on what I build my life on. I'm not going to build my life on achievement and, um, and, 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 you know, what the world builds its success, measures its success on. I'm going to build my life on Jesus and his teaching, you know, like the rock. When Jesus talks about the rock and the floods and the, you know, the rain came down. There's cracking. There is cracking. We have to, there's, there's got to be a shaking down of the things that won't last forever in my life. And I lay them aside and I follow Jesus. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And lacking too, lacking. Famine. What am I, what am I hungry for? Am I really hungry for, for the Lord and for his word? There's a beautiful proverb that says something along the lines of, um, oh, I can't remember it now. I'll find out and I'll tell you. But it's beautiful. It's talking about hungry. It's talking about hunger and how, and how honey it, it's be- it's, it tastes beautiful, but uh, for, for a person who's hungry, they'll eat anything, you know. And if you're hungry, you'll eat anything. So the, just I, I envisage the people sitting around Jesus' feet when he's teaching. Every word that comes out of his mouth, they're just hungry for it. With the measure they use, it's measured to them. Sh- pressed down, shaken over. So there's attacking and there's cracking and there's lacking. This is great, Jesus. Really great prophesying. Over here, I'm, I'm sure you're ga- gathering a crowd with all this amazing good news and positivity in the room, Jesus. But he says in verse 9, oh, in verse, the end of verse 8, but this is only the first of the birth pains with, with more to come. Oh, awesome. Yes, I just love it. That, that encouraging promise. You know, not only is it going to be painful, it's going to be wars, it's going to be all this sorts of bad stuff, but there's more to come. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome, Christian person? Don't you just love that? I don't get excited about pain. I am the first one to say I have a low pain threshold. But I remember when Micah was born. Uh, I remember when Anna was, I remember where all the kids are born. But especially I want to tell you about with, when Micah was born, we were living in a little country house outside of Gympie in Queensland. And Sonia's mum was visiting with us because we were expecting our second child. So we've had one child already, so we know we know everything about being a parent, you know, one child. And so um, we're lying in bed one night, and Sonia's having these Braxton Hicks contractions. I don't know if you know what that is. It's sort of like a, a fake contraction, getting your body ready. It's like a training exercise to get all the muscles and everything ready to have the real thing. They're like a shadow of the thing to come, right? And so we're, we're lying in bed, and Sonia's having these fake contractions because she's been having them for a while like over the last few weeks, on and off. They just come and go. And it's annoying because the, the, the mum thinks, oh, excellent, I'm going to have a child. Oh, no, I'm not. You know, and it's like that. And then we're lying there and she's having these contractions. Uh, not contractions, these fake ones, these Braxton Hicks contractions. And she said, right, McGill, we need to pray. And I said, okay, right, let's pray. Because I just want to go to sleep. It's like after 10 o'clock. And um, so I said, I say, Lord, if this, is the, if this is it, make it happen. If not, just stop them, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On men, ah, the water's just broke. You know, and it was just like, I was, I was calm as, I was extremely calm. <laughs> Sonia was freaking, no, it was the other way around. 
and we got her to the hospital and Micah ended up being born, you know, but you know, it wasn't just like at five past 10 when she had the, when she had the waters break, it wasn't just Micah's born and everyone's happy and it's marshmallows and roses, no pain at all. You know, mums in the room know that there's pain involved when you're giving birth to a child. And what I don't understand is the ones that go back and have more. Like Sonia's had five children. She knows the pain that you go through. Like why? I can't understand it. All right. To this day, I just don't understand it. But it, it must be something to do with the fact that you know what's coming. You know the end of the pain. You know what's going to come. And Jesus says these things, this pain, this 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 attacking, this cracking, and this lacking, and this shaking down of the religious system of the Old Testament, these are all just things like they're, they're painful. They're painful, but they're just birth pains. In other words, there's something new and brand new and beautiful coming. Isn't that a beautiful prophecy? You know, I love that about Jesus because he won't just tell you, he won't tell you that everything's going to be roses. He will, he will just cut through the mustard and say, it's going to be hard. Life, life following Jesus, following me, you're going to find it hard. In fact, you know what? Your, your brother's probably going to put you in jail for being a Christian. You know what? Your, your son's probably going to put, take you to court and, and try you for, for your faith. You know what? Your, your dad's probably going to do the same. and They're probably going to put you to death. You know? And that's what's happening around the world. It's not easy being a Christian in a, in a non-Christian society. And here we go, Australia, post-Christian world. Here it comes. Here comes the persecution. Here comes the attacking. Here comes the cracking. And after that would come the lacking. Then we'll sort out the men from the boys. That's the old saying. See who really is a follower of Jesus. But he says it's just birth pains. There's something more to come. There's beautiful things to come. And so Jesus says in verse 9, when these things begin to ha happen, <clears throat> watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. That's Jesus' point. His point is the good news must first be preached to all nations. The good news must first be preached to all nations. This is not pain. This is not, a, this is, this is not um, persecution. You know, this is what Jesus is saying. You think, you think it's persecution. You think it's pain. You think it's injustice. You think it's not fair that you're going to be brought before kings. And this is an opportunity, he says. This is your opportunity. You know, and often we look at situations in life that aren't fair, cause us pain, cause us grief and stress, and we think, God, where are you in this? You know, and somewhere along the line, we've, we've bought into the lie that being a Christian means that everything's going to be amazingly beautiful. You know, sunshine, marshmallows, and what was it, roses or something I said before, I don't know. But, but it's not. It's your opportunity. Anytime you go through a hard time or opposition or, or, or there's an obstacle in your way following Jesus, it's not opposition or obstacle. It's actually your opportunity. It's your opportunity 
to shine for him and declare who he is, to share the good news. That's what gospel means, right? Good news. Proclaiming the good news. It's beautiful in Acts. You see this this, um, playing out with the apostles. So James and Peter, right, are disciples of Jesus. And James ends up dying for his faith. Herod Agrippa, I think it is, kills him, chops his head off, right? And next in line is Peter. Peter is in prison waiting for execution the next day. And what's Peter doing? No, he's not. He's sleeping between two guards. He is sleeping. Like, yeah, he probably was praising God, but he was so in tune with the fact that it's an opportunity for him to declare something about Jesus. He was like, okay, well, God, you're in charge of this. He's in between, He's sitting in between two guards and he's asleep. If I die tomorrow, oh, well, that means you're finished with me. If I don't, it means I've got an opportunity to declare who you are. He was at peace. And time and time again, you just read through the, the book of Acts and there's, there's the disciples before kings before governors, before the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and they they have an opportunity to declare the risen Jesus Christ. It's awesome, isn't it? And um, every time, every time you walk into a dark room, you should give the light an opportunity to be switched on. And so whenever you go into a dark place, some kind of attacking, cracking or lacking or painful place, you should give the light an opportunity to shine through you in that place. That's not easy. But that's why the Holy Spirit is in you. So that you can carry God into those situations. He can give you the strength to uh, to endure in those situations. And, and in fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. He says in verse 11, when you are arrested and stand trial, Don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time. For it's not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. You know, that's Jesus' point. The Holy Spirit in you, in me. I don't think it's any, any surprise that, you know, this passage falls on Pentecost Sunday. Jesus prophesies the future. It's going to be difficult. It's going to get worse. And it is. Around the world, believers are being persecuted just because they bear the name of Jesus. Not because they did anything wrong. They just bear the name of Jesus. They just follow Jesus. I don't know if you ever lived in a country town before, but sometimes there's that family that just, it's their last name. If you end up with their last name in your name, too bad. doesn't matter if you're the nicest person. If you have that last name, you bear their name. I know Pakenham, before we came down, Pakenham, Bared the name. Like, you know, it's Pakenham. You know, well, you're going to go to Pakenham. But it's just sad, isn't it? Like, it didn't do anything wrong. It just has that name. But Jesus, he never did anything wrong. And he's saying that if you just bear my name, you'll find it difficult to live. Everyone will hate you because you are my followers, he says in verse 13. But, is there a but in your Bible? Halfway through verse 13. It's a big but. There's a big but in my Bible too. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one 
My relationship with God is not based upon what my parents believe, what my family believe, what my wife believes, what you believe. My relationship with God is based on Jesus Christ, what he's done for me and how I receive that in my life. You know, and I will stand before God and have to give an account for my life. So will you. The one, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is thinking of you and me there. To endure to the end will be saved. Saved. It's a beautiful word, saved. It's not just salvation from sin, from hell. This is, this is the word sozo. And I've said it before, it's, it's, it's restored, it's rescued, it's healed, it's delivered. It's, it's saved from hell, it's salvation, but it's more than that. It's just completely and utterly whole and perfect in his presence. It's heaven. And that's what will happen for the one who endures to the end. You know, we see the disciples, they've gone through these sorts of hard times in Acts. And then we go, if you do some study in church history, you see the same sorts of things. And it continues on. And here we are, 2021, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. But Jesus' prophecies are still coming true. Keep looking. Keep enduring. Keep going through those hard times. They're just birth pains that bring something beautiful. It's your opportunity, not your obstacle. It's not your obstacle. It's not your opposition. That person that, you know, hates your guts, they are not the opposition. That is an opportunity. You know, the, the, the battle we, f we wage war with is not against flesh and blood. There's things that out there we can't see that are trying to bring down believers everywhere. Naomi brought that up in the prayer time. It's beautiful because that's what the devil tries to do. He's a liar. He's always been a liar and he will lie every chance he gets. But God has an amazing plan and he will tell you the truth about it. It's an opportunity. Every obstacle, every opposition is an opportunity. I'm going to leave it there for tonight. But I want you to say, next time you go through something difficult, instead of running away from it or blaming someone for it or saying, you know, whatever, just this is my opportunity, find something that you can do in that situation, in that relationship, in that struggle. Find something that you can do in that. Because God hides things in, in, in tough times if we're willing to see it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you are a God who... Um, is present, and ultimately, Lord, you are all-powerful. We trust you tonight, and we thank you so much for this meeting here tonight. We thank you for every heart in this room, every person that loves you, Lord. We just thank you so much that your love just outdoes us every second of the day. And Jesus, you showed us what it means to be loved, to be loving. You gave up your life for us, and you gave everything for us. In fact, you, you, you did that so that we could be more like you. <laughs> it just makes no sense to me. And Lord, there are many things, Lord, in this life that try and trip us up, and you know that. You know everything about our own lives and our own struggles, our own temptations, the stuff that's on our minds, Lord, that tries to maybe even stop us from coming to church. I don't know, but Lord, you, you just, you're above it all. Lord, I just pray that you'll just keep prophesying into our hearts, Lord, tonight, that you'd keep prophesying, that you would keep just declaring what's true, that there's going to be tough times, 
but, but the one who endures for last will be saved because you are a good God who saves. Help us to see, Lord, in, in the tough times and opposition, the opportunities. And help us, Lord, to be a witness for you. Thank you so much for those tough times that come our way. Thank you so much that you are a God who can use all things to work together for our good, for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And what the devil means for harm, you can redeem it for good. We thank you that you are a God like that. We worship you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.